something done, but it's about knowing you, interacting with you, loving you with all of our heart. In Jesus' name. I feel like was on the Lord's heart, what is on the Lord's heart, and different scriptures were coming to my mind. Um, one being Ephesians 2, to the angel of the church of Ephesus write, these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil, and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars, and you have persevered and have patience, and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. That is, unless you change the way you think. And then um, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, also coming to me. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, 
that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, a living martyr, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. It's the only reasonable thing to do in light of the cross and the extravagance of the cross. Present our bodies as living martyrs. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God is. In Hebrews chapter 12, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my elect one, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. He will not cry out, nor raise his voice, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. Verse 4, he will not fail nor be discouraged until he has established justice in the earth. He will not fail nor be discouraged. There's so many scriptures I could keep going because I keep thinking of more of them. Um, Zechariah chapter 4. He rejoices to see the plumb line. The plumb line is the very beginning of the building of the house of prayer. It's the beginning. It's a vertical line. Just think about that. Vertical. Our little prayers, you know. Let's establish the vertical line, the prayer. Because the whole building comes from that. The whole building of the house of prayer comes from beginning with prayer. The vertical line, the beginning Let's establish the plumb line first. And he rejoices to see the plumb line, that is the beginnings of global prayer, right? The house of prayer in the earth. Uh, In um, Zechariah 4, it was the exiles coming back to rebuild the temple. Um, In our day, there's New Testament scriptures that talk about the building of the house of prayer globally, that it will go global. So we take these verses about rebuilding the house of prayer 
we look at other verses like the tabernacle of David will be rebuilt. Amos chapter 9, Luke, whatever that is, 4 or something. Um, that the building of the house of prayer, right? He rejoices to see the beginnings of it, the plumb line. Zechariah chapter 4, he, he's like every pretty much every day in here when I get up to pray, I'm praying the seven spirits of God, right? I'm praying the seven spirits of God because that's in Zechariah 4 also. It says these seven rejoice to see the plumb line. They rejoice to see the beginnings of the building of the house of prayer. These seven. These seven spirits, right? Which is the sevenfold Holy Spirit. It's the fullness of Holy Spirit. It's Holy Spirit, he says in Revelation 5, which I pray all the time in here. He not only looks, he's looking to and fro, right? Second Chronicles 16.9. He's looking to and fro throughout the whole earth with these seven eyes looking to and fro that he might strongly support those whose hearts are given over. How does he strongly support them? He sends out himself into them. He gives them the Isaiah 11, the fullness of Holy Spirit, spirit of wisdom, here it comes, spirit of revelation, here it comes, spirit of counsel, spirit of divine might, spirit of the knowledge of God, spirit of the fear of the Lord. This is what he infuses into us. So as we are looking at him in this house of prayer, in the place of prayer, he's looking at us and not just looking, but sending out of himself into us. Transformation at the deepest level in our hearts. Transformation that we would be Christ in us, transformed into Christ in us, that we would be Christ to our neighbors. in us and through us, right, to the world around us, to our sphere of influence. There would be many, many little Christs, right, ones who have been transformed, the highest level of love and intimacy, transformed by his spirit and then sent out. Okay, you can't do second commandment if you don't, if you don't have first commandment in first place. It just doesn't work that well. It doesn't work that well. We need to love God with all of our hearts first. And then the love that comes out of us will be the love of God coming out to people. First commandment in first place, which is exactly what the Lord calls his church to in Ephesians. I mean, the, the church of Ephesus in the book of Revelation where it started, that they would return to their first love. That is, the first commandment would be put in first place. Until that happens, the church is going to be very ineffective. Until we get to the end of ourselves and our good ideas about doing things for God, we will be very ineffective. We must get to the end of ourselves where we realize I can't do anything apart from him, apart from his Holy Spirit working in me and through me. And we need to get so hungry for him, so thirsty. Like It's sobering that the, the church of Ephesus was persevering. They were righteous. They were doing many good things. It's quite a resume that is listed in the book of Revelation. And yet the Lord says, you have lost your first love. 
because the first commandment is not in first place, if you stay in this place, I'm going to come and take your lampstand, that is your ministry, your light to the world, I'm going to take it away. Whoa, so sobering. And yet, uh, if I go back to that Isaiah chapter 42, a bruised reed he will not break, a smoking flax he will not quench. Because when I think of the church in America, I think, man, we don't even have the resume of the, Ephesian, of the Ephesus church, really. We're more the Laodicean church, I think. <laughs> we become lukewarm, and we don't even know we have a problem. We are under such a delusion, <laughs> thinking... No, everything's fine. Have all that I need. And the Lord's like, no, you don't even know you're wretched and poor and naked and blind and miserable. God help us. They don't know. If you don't know you're under a delusion, you're really in trouble because then you can't even repent. <laughs> but I just think of where we're at and it, you know, the Church of Ephesus, like he's saying, you gotta get your first love back. But he's also saying, I'm not going to put out this, the, uh, the smoking reed, the flax that's almost out, you know. Eventually he says, I will come and take that lampstand away. But he's so long-suffering. You know, he waits. He breathes on that, on that flax. He fans it back into flame. I think we have tremendous amount of um, encouragement and hope from the scriptures that the Lord is going to send revival. He is going to awaken the church in America. He is going to do these things we've been crying out for for decades. He does hear the people who are praying and giving themselves to him, and there is a remnant. So we have reason to be encouraged, and the Lord says in Isaiah 42, which I think is that's a huge encouragement, he says, I will not fail. And he also says, I'm not discouraged. The Lord says, I'm not discouraged, neither should you be, right? So our hope and trust is in Christ, in Christ alone. And when we put it there, we are not discouraged anymore. And I see this in my own life. If I'm looking at myself, and um, I can get very discouraged. You know, if I'm looking at what I can do, God help us. <laughs> you know, I can't do much for him. You know, I can't do anything really. But if I'm looking at him, it's like, whoa, he can do all things. He can do all things who strengthens me. He can, he can do whatever he wants to do. All of a sudden, the horizon is just blown open why? Because it's like we can't underestimate what the Lord's going to do. Even through a few people whose hearts are given over to him, we cannot underestimate what he's going to do. I don't know if you guys have been watching The Chosen, but I love it because these disciples that he picked, right? I think they do a good job just showing how they are. They're so human, right? They're so like flawed, like all of us. You know, they have their interactions with each other. They're mad at each other. If he's not around, they're kind of in trouble, you know. They can't um, 
they don't see eye to eye at all. Um, but it's just, it's like he took those guys, right? He picked those guys to like be his messengers after he dies and raises from the dead and gets ascended. He chose those guys to carry on the message. Whoa, right? So if he chose them and he's choosing us, what might he do? So we can't underestimate what he's going to do through a few flawed little people who keep saying yes to him, even though we don't have the answers. We, we maybe are not anointed at all, <laughs> right? Maybe we don't even have the gifts very much at all. We're just, you know, um, oh, it's, it's Sermon on the Mount. It's like, blessed are you poor ones, right? The ones who are poor in spirit, who don't have anything. You guys have goods. You're blessed. You have goods because you have nothing. And when you have nothing, I can fill myself into you. So that's why the people he was looking at, Sermon on the Mount, the poor, those who thought, wow, this, they thought of themselves, we don't have anything. Like we're not the blessed ones is what they would be thinking. We're the poor of the earth. We have nothing. And the Lord's like, blessed are you poor. Because you have nothing, you have the goods that is actually needed. You are the empty vessels that I can come and fill with myself. That is so encouraging. The Lord wants those empty vessels. You know, bring me the empty vessels. Then they can be filled with water. And then I will take the water and turn it into wine. That is my blood in them and through them. (laughs) To the world around them. Give me the empty vessels, the purified ones. Remember the story, um, the wedding at Cana. You know, they brought the empty purification pots. The big, you know, empty vessels brought them to him. He filled them, you know, they were filled with water. Water is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus touches it. Water to wine. Now we've got the blood of Christ just opened up. And that's how we are to be those empty vessels, right? When Christ transforms us at the highest levels, like his blood in us, just transforming us head to toe, well, it's Christ in us. That is what transforms the whole world. So we can't underestimate what he's doing, even in the little places of prayer, the little prayer rooms, the little prayer gatherings, the little prayer meetings, these little places, these little burning places. Who knows what he will do? And so we can hope and be encouraged, like it says in Isaiah 42. He will not fail, and he is not discouraged. He doesn't look at our little prayer room and go, wow, I'm really discouraged There's not a lot of people there. Like, I do that, (laughs) but he doesn't do that. He looks at it and goes, I'm so encouraged. I rejoice to see the plumb line, the beginning, global prayer. I'm so happy about this. So I need to get in alignment, right, with his word, Isaiah 42. The Lord says, I am not discouraged and I will not fail. That's powerful. 
it's funny to think that sometimes we think God might be discouraged. He's not discouraged. In fact, his kingdom is always increasing and, and, and always will be increasing. We don't really think that's true. We think, wow, you know, how is his, in, his kingdom increasing? doesn't sometimes look at it when we look at the news or we look in the world and we think we're in a heap of trouble. (laughs) But the Lord sees things that we don't see. He goes, no, my kingdom is increasing. I'm doing something even in this time that's clearing out the vessels, right? Emptying them for his sake. He's doing a work in us all, you know? Everyone's maybe in a different place with the Lord, but he's working and he works from the inside out. So it's a deep work inside. Um, well, that, um, that's 